Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless. I'm your host, Sadhna Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market, and REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry and our clients. Please enjoy this month's Market Insights. Hello and welcome to REIP CoreLogic Market Insights. I'm your host, Sadness Miles, and with me is Tim Lawless, Head of Research at CoreLogic. Tim, how are you? I'm really well, considering I'm in Queensland, Sardna, so I don't have to go through the lockdown, but uh, yeah, my heart goes out to all those Victorians that are going through a fourth round. I know, I know. Thank you for that. I, I can speak on behalf of all the Melbourne and say, I think this one's probably a little bit harder than what we've had before. And, and let's start with that, right? So fourth lockdown in Melbourne, Saturday 29th of May was supposed to be a super Saturday here in Melbourne. Um, and we saw a number of agents who did so well for their clients, they pivoted quickly to online virtual auctions. Did you see a drop in auctions though overall across Victoria last Saturday? It, we did see a little bit of disruption, but, but nowhere near as much as what we've seen through previous lockdowns. So the withdrawal rate uh, last weekend uh, uh, was about 25%. So we saw 25% of auctions were simply uh, withdrawn from the market, probably moved to a private treaty style mm. arrangement. Um, uh, more would have been postponed. But despite that really high withdrawal rates, you know, go back to the previous lockdowns and we're seeing more than 50% of, of auctions being withdrawn at one stage. So very different. And as you say, I think that really highlights that a lot of agents and agencies and vendors are much more willing now and probably much, much more capable of, of pivoting towards an online auction format. And I think buyers also have probably also um, become more familiar with uh, that style of technology. The other thing I think that really helped um, the clearance rate, which, which for Melbourne was up in the, the sort of the, the low to mid 70% range yes. still, um, was that most people still had the opportunity to inspect the property prior to the lockdown. So good point. That, that's probably where things will be a little bit different if we do see that lockdown extended uh, and people don't have the ability to have a, a physical inspection, that probably starts to impact things a little bit more. Mm. Do you see, I mean, you know, Melbourne, unfortunately, has had the bad luck around this. In a fourth lockdown, it seems to be every three months we we tend to go into this hard snap lockdown. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if in three to four months' time we, we're facing the same thing unless we all get vaccinated and do that really quickly. Do you see continuous lockdowns impacting the inner city Melbourne market as such with more and more people continuing to move into the regional areas? Uh, it's hard to say, and I think we, we can see through you know the, the fourth lockdown now that maybe Melbourneites and Victorians have become a little bit more used to this, or had a, a maybe um, able to cope with it a um, a little bit more readily. Not saying it's something that's uh, becoming accepted, but we're probably seeing some signs that people are like, oh god, again, uh, rather than you know a real blow to consumer sentiment like we saw through the first two very long lockdowns. Um, outside of Melbourne, you know, other, other cities that have gone through a temporary lockdown, it's really clear that the impact on the economy and on the housing market seems to be very temporary. So, you know, things get locked down and they bounce back quite quickly. I think it really depends on um, the extent of the outbreak and the lockdown, though. So if we do see it extending on for a long time, then the impact, I think, will be worse. 
are people going to move to the regions? Well, even if you're in regional Victoria at the moment, it doesn't seem to have been a, um, a ticket out of, out of jail, unfortunately. So uh, we're definitely seeing this, this trend of more people leaving Melbourne to the regional areas, but also more people leaving Melbourne to go to other states as well. And no doubt uh, um, more lockdowns and worsening outbreaks uh, probably would, mm. would add to that sentiment, I would say. Oh, let me tell you, I have considered moving up to Queensland many times this week, <laughs> this week you know. Um, something I've read recently is that we're starting to see mm. sellers increase their asking price midway, midway through campaigns, given the current market conditions. Is this something your research is, is showing happening? Yeah, it's not something to be, that we track, to be honest, but um, I think reasonably thinking how tight the market is and how fast properties are selling and the fact that this is absolutely a seller's market, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. I think uh, you know, trying to um, place a, an asking price on a property and then seeing how fast things are moving makes it just extremely difficult to, uh, to not move with the marketplace. Uh, the fact that homes are selling quite quickly probably helps to maybe alleviate that a little bit. A typical home in Melbourne selling in like, you know, a little bit more than 20 days okay. on average uh, under private treaty. And we're still seeing more than 70% of auctions are successful uh, week in, week out. So it's um, it's definitely a seller's market out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a little bit of evolution in, in pricing expectations uh, if the home sits on the market a bit longer. Mm. Now, in your May indices, we see that the housing boom continues with the national values rising another 2.2% in May. Um, and for the second time in three months, we've seen growth conditions in capital city home values outpace regional markets. What, what is your sort of picture across the country around this? Yeah, so this, this is a bit of a break of, of uh, in the trend we've been seeing well, through the worst of COVID. Absolutely, the regional markets stood out for being resilient, for starters, and not showing much price fall at all, and then showing a much stronger capital gain as we did see that, that demographic shift happen. That's starting to normalise, it seems. We're not seeing much difference at all between the regional market performance and the capital cities, at least at a broad level. And as you say, the last um, three months, we've seen two months where the capital cities just edged a little bit higher or faster uh, in value than, than the regional markets. But if we look around the country, the, the, the dynamics are a little bit different. You know, if you look at regional Victoria, for example, last quarter, we saw values rise by 6.2%. Melbourne was up 5.5%. Um, uh, in Sydney, though, we saw Sydney housing values rise a little bit more than 9%, but regional New South Wales was up by uh, a little bit less than 8%. So we're definitely seeing some different trends in different markets. Regional WA is such a, um, such a broad and diverse market. We actually saw a subtle fall in values through May uh, and only a slight rise over the past three months. Mm -hmm. So very different where, where you're looking. But uh, I think broadly this trend towards a regional app performance might be starting to, to lose a little bit of its momentum, probably due to the fact that uh, that pricing gap has narrowed a little bit between the capitals in the regional markets. And also we're starting to see a lot more workers working from work um, rather than working from home, which maybe that's adding to a little bit of incentive to, uh, to, to look back towards the capitals. Mm. Now you and I have talked about this often, but the drivers that are impacting this market growth across the board doesn't, hasn't really changed, has it, in, well, since we started to see this happen? No, that's right. I mean, the main drivers of, of the market, of course, are low interest rates, and they're not going to be moving anytime soon, at least short-term interest rates. We are seeing a bit of upwards pressure on the longer-term fixed rates now, 
And that'll probably become a little bit more noticeable once the term funding facility from the RBA expires at the end of June. Um, but, uh, but variable rates and uh, fixed rates less than, than four years or three years and under look to be pretty much um, firm at their record lows. On top of that, we're still seeing demand very strong and supply extremely low. So advertised supply, uh, you know, listing numbers across um, the national market are down 24% on their five-year average. Sales activities up about 25% on the five-year average. So we've really got this disconnection between supply and demand, which is uh, at the heart of this uh, very strong price growth. Because mm, I think one of the things you've quoted recently is a sales to new listing ratio is about one-to-one. And that has a that has an impact on the market. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really good way to you know even though we've we've seen new listings coming into the market, so newly advertised properties are now above average. We're seeing vendors taking advantage of the strong selling conditions. The simple fact is the rate of sale is still a lot faster. So, with a, a sales to new listings ratio of about one point one, it means for every new listing added to the market there's 1.1 sales, which is why the total number of listings is remaining very low and not trending higher, despite the fact that new listings are trending higher. Mm. And you've seen some shifts in the underlying trends at the top end of the market more recently? Yeah, so a bit of context. Uh, we um, through, through the worst of COVID, it was that top end of the marketplace, a lot of the, the blue chip suburbs that uh, were a lot more volatile. They did see a lot more uh, price declines than say, the more affordable end of the market. And it was probably also supported by a lot of first home buyers coming out of the woodwork, supporting prices at the lower end. What we're seeing more recently, though, is that upper end of the market, so your top 25% of the market, is absolutely rocketing, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. To, to a lesser extent, the, the other capital cities are seeing a, a sort of a more, more normal um, uh, uh, difference between each of those different valuation cohorts. So it does look like as first home buyers wind down a little bit and the affordability constraints we're starting to see across the marketplace more broadly is probably impacting on, on uh, participation around those lower price points. But people who have a lot of equity behind them, maybe a lot of a lot more savings, there might be subsequent homeowners, seem to be fueling that top end of the marketplace. You know, just in Sydney's example, we saw, uh, which is probably where it's happening the most noticeably, the last three months up to the end of May, we saw Sydney's upper quartile increase in value by 12%. The lower quartile was up by about 5%. So yeah, definitely seeing values in that upper range uh, of the market increasing much more quickly than mm. the lower range. And something I read more recently around how many suburbs are now being outpriced for first home buyers. And that when you have a look at you know anything under a million dollars in so many suburbs in particularly Sydney and Melbourne our first home buyers have a very small range of suburbs if you want to live around the inner city to actually buy in yeah I mean it it, it stands to reason with prices rising so quickly at a time when household incomes aren't mm. there's going to be a diminishing uh, um, set of, of suburbs where first home buyers can actually afford to buy and I think this is another sort of um reason why we're probably going to start to see some demand shifting back towards the medium density sector. Simply houses are becoming too, too highly priced for mm. a component of the market. And you know, it's one thing to keep on shifting further and further out. And, and that's more doable when you don't have to uh, commute to work every day because of flexible working arrangements that have become more popular. But um, at the end of the day, uh, 
that, that has a limit. And I think um, with house prices and unit prices, that gap is now diverging quite substantially. Mm. Uh, we'll start to see more of those first home buyers who are active, simply looking towards you know, a medium density option or a higher density option uh, uh, because the price points are much lower. Yeah, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? Do you also think, yes, medium density and high density options, but also the concept of rent vesting? Do you think this next generation coming through? And I do that. I'm a rent vester. I, live, I rent in the suburb that I can't afford to buy in and I have investment properties around Melbourne. Do you think that's going to become more popular? I think it probably will. It's definitely a trend and it's something that, that was around pre-COVID uh, and uh, particularly in really expensive markets like Melbourne or yeah. Sydney. It makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think about some of my colleagues in Sydney who are looking to get into the marketplace as their first home. A typical home price or house price in Sydney is getting towards the, the $1.2 million mark. You know, it's just out of reach for a lot of people. So renting where you'd like to live, close to your family and friends, maybe within decent commuting distance, makes a lot of sense. And then investing either in property or in other, in other ways, I think is really important. So getting your foot on the, on the ladder in some way and building up um, equity and, and savings and wealth through whatever investment asset class it is, I think is really important, but uh, also is livability. So yeah. I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty logical strategy, particularly in those cities where um, prices are more expensive. Mm. What are some of the weakest markets across the country at the moment? Well, if we go across just the really broad regions, last month, the only region around Australia that saw a subtle decline was regional Western Australia. It was down 0.1%. Of course, this is a, a broad swathe of, of lands that includes a whole bunch of different uh, um, industries from mining to agricultural to tourism and so forth. So probably doesn't, uh, I guess, you can't read too much into that very small decline. Most of that was driven by uh, some of the agricultural markets around WA, as well as the, the Western Pilbara, whereas the Eastern Pilbara is, is much stronger. Um, if you look across the capital cities, it was actually Perth that recorded the, the weakest uh, um, rise in May, up 1.1%. So still a very strong result, but weak amongst the other capitals. And, you know, it's kind of surprising to see Perth down the bottom of the, um, of the leagues tables like that because it is so affordable, because it has a lot of really strong demographic tailwinds behind the market now. But when you look at what's really driving that, that uh, um, lower performance, it's probably the fact that we've seen a real surge in listings coming on the market in Perth. We talked a bit earlier about that um, mm. uh, sales to new listings ratio in Perth, that's actually uh, below one. So it means that there's been this real surge in stock added to the market more so than what buyer demand is. And that's probably giving buyers a lot more choice and uh, taking away some of the heat. Mm. Let's let's switch to investors because we've seen um, owner occupiers being the primary drivers of the housing market to date and investors have probably dropped off a little bit. Are you starting to see that shift? Yeah, we are seeing that shift a little bit. And uh, we based that, that um, anecdote off mortgage-related data. So, uh, and we'll see an update on that a bit later this week. So on the March data, we saw investors rose to be about 25%, well, nearly 26% of mortgage demand. Normally, you'd expect investors to be about a third of mortgage demand. So they've lifted from about 23% up to nearly 26%. They're definitely rising in the market. In fact, the March numbers showed the growth in investor lending uh, was the fastest it's been since 2003. And this came at a time when we've seen two months where first home buyers 
have actually fallen in uh, uh, the level of um, lending activity and the value of lending activity as well. So it does look like a bit of a uh, inflection point here where first home buyers are winding down, investors are starting to step up in the marketplace, but still the largest component of market demand is non-first home buyer owner occupiers. So people who are um, buying for an upgrade or a downgrade because they're moving, uh, but it's not their first home, by far and large, that's the, that's the biggest segment of the market. But I think investors will gradually become a larger component of demand. Mm. And sadly, Melbourne and Sydney continue to be the weakest rental markets still. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason for that is we're seeing uh, both of those cities are much more exposed to overseas migration as a source of rental demand. A lot of that weakness is emanating out of the inner city apartment markets mm. in Melbourne. Some of the uh, the worst hit apartment markets around the CBD and Docklands and South Bank have seen rents fall by more than 20% over the past 12 months. Some early signs that rental listings are coming down now. So it does look like as you know, cafe workers and hospitality workers and accommodation workers get back into work. Um, there is more tenancy demand from a lot of those inner city uh, apartment projects as well as the fact that because rents have come down so much, there's probably a bit of upgrading happening where people are moving from maybe the middle ring into the inner ring, uh, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it does look like we won't, we probably won't see any real improvement in those inner city rental precincts until we start to see foreign students coming back. Which is and of course, this all has an impact on gross yields, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that impact on gross yields. It's, uh, it's rents, of course, but also housing values. So, we are seeing the situation where housing values are rising faster than rents and that's compressing yields. Uh, there's only a couple of regions around Australia where yields are rising and that's in Perth and Darwin where mm. rental markets are actually stronger than what we're seeing in, in home values. And Who would have picked Darwin? Hate <laughs> Darwin yields are up at 6% gross, right? Unbelievable. 5%, so huge cash flow opportunities in that market. It can be a little bit volatile, of course, uh, a shallower economy and all, but um, yeah, it looks like some, some pretty good investment opportunities up in Darwin if you're willing to brave that volatility. Mm. And the good news is that there are some cash flow investments happening now for, for investors, although they may not want that. They may want the negative cash flow from a tax perspective, but we are starting to see that happen in some markets now too. Even on average, outside of Sydney and Melbourne, uh, well, the Sydney and Melbourne yields are below 3%. So you can net those out to probably be in the high ones. So much harder to find a cash flow positive opportunity in those two cities, particularly Sydney, but outside of those cities, on average, properties are positive cash flow, mostly because of where interest rates are, yields tend to be in sort of the early to mid 4% range in most capitals. So if you net that out, you're still looking at, uh, on average, a positive cash flow, which I think for a lot of investors looking at, you know, the opportunity to, to get some income coming in off the property, as well as a prospect for capital gain is, uh, is a pretty enticing um, strategy. Mm. Tim, as always, interesting to ch chat to you about the current market conditions and I can't wait to see what happens in, uh, in June. I think we'll have more surprises or maybe not. I don't know. It seems to be tracking in, in a way that we've expected it to track every time we've spoken, but who knows what will happen in the next four weeks. Well, I think the only certainty is uncertainty yes. at the moment, isn't it? At the moment. I don't think anybody wants to predict what's going to be happening in the next six months. You know, I think if you if you are predicting that, you're a very brave individual. <laughs> Thanks again, Sadna. Thank you, Tim. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us. 
please take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.